Welcome to the Top Order Podcast, another edition of the Cricketing Hall of Fame coming up. We're going to count down 45 to 41 on the list. This is going to be a humdinger of an episode. We are going to go slightly off the rules of the show as well, which more of that will be explained in a second. But that's all coming up on this edition of the Top Order Podcast, Test Cricketing Hall of Fame. Stay tuned. So, Baldy, who is at number 45 on our illustrious list? Uh, look, we want to talk about prolific batters, prolific run scorers. And we want to talk about number 45 from England, Wally Hammond. 85 tests for Wally Hammond, 7,249 test runs at an average of 58.45. Highest score of 336, not out. 2200s, 2450s, uh, 1500s per 100 innings, and an average above replacement player of plus 10.8. So that's 19th of all time. That average, by the way, is 8th all-time amongst Test cricketers that qualify for the Hall of Fame. Uh, well, let's just have a quick de- uh, dalliance into his first-class career. 634 first-class matches between 19, I think 1920 and 1951, so over 31 years uh, that he played cricket at a high level. 1,005 innings for 50,551 <laughs> first-class runs at an average of 56.1. Uh, with 167 first-class centuries and 185 first-class 50. So on 352 occasions, he raised his bat at least once in an innings out of 1,000 innings. It's just incredible. He, he has 732 first-class wickets at an average of 30 and a strike rate of 70. He has a first-class 9 for, so his best bowling in a first-class match is 9 for 23. He has three first-class 10 fers. He has 22 first-class 5 fers. He has a test 5 for, and he has 83 test wickets at an average of 37.8 and a strike rate of 96. He's also scored 400s in a series against Australia in 28-9. That was 905 runs in that series at an average of 113. Uh, he has the highest average of anyone who's got 50,000 first-class runs. Uh, did I mention he's got a 9 for? Uh, I'm going to have to break in here because otherwise we're not. There's going to be six minutes of just listing off his uh, stats. His stats I got one and more achievements. For, I got one, for, one more for you. Second most runs in a day. He scored 295 runs in a day once. Remarkable. Unbelievable. I, I, I guess listening to all of that and hearing you're almost giddy reading out his stats, just giggling your whole your way through it. I, I don't understand why he's this low. Like his stats are just absolutely remarkable. I remember, you know, similar to our last episode with Len Hutton. I remember people talk, you know, everything I read, Wally Hammond was regarded as one of the best batters of all time. Mm -hmm. What's he doing down here at 45? That's a fair question. Um, We've well, got he, to squeeze a few more Australians in. We do. We have, to, we have to get some Australians in. We also have to get some bowlers in. Uh, otherwise, the top 20 would be all batters, I think. Uh, no, to be fair, he does, have a, he does have a tremendous record. Look, the only thing that is going to get batters ahead of him is a combination of an average above 50 to 55 and more runs, if you like, uh, at the test level. But if you have a look at his, his per-test stats, they're they're right up there, but just that number of first class runs. That's the thing that does it for me. Is is their first class record and the number of games played is just incredible. I mean, not strictly speaking relevant for Test cricket, but the number of first class runs just makes me giggle every time I look at it. I, look, I know we've just done heaps and heaps of stats. That the one that really tickled me was after the war, so nineteen forty six, the first full season after Second World War. He scored 1,783 runs at an average of 84, and it was the eighth year in a row that he was top of the first-class 
averages in England, which is a record that I don't think was broken um, or has been broken or probably ever will be broken. Just an incredible cricketer. Yeah. Scored a lot of his test runs away, which I like to see as well. You love that set, but don't you, Raj? But the scary thing, and you just mentioned it, the war, I reckon you know, this guy, along with Len Hutton, who we just talked about in the last episode, these guys, if they had those years, they probably would have been the first batsman to score 10,000 runs at test level. I can't, I can't disagree with you. I absolutely agree with you. There are three or four batters who are absolutely at their peak during that period. I mean, Bradman was 32, I think, something like that when war broke out, and he sort of finished his career at 48 when it was about, he was about 40. Wally Hammond was the same. Len Hutton was the same. Um, George Headley, guys like that were at their absolute peak when war broke out. So, you know, could you imagine the damage that they would have done in that era? And, you know, to be fair, there were some excellent bowlers who missed out during the war as well. But, yeah, the, these guys, man, if they had... A, an opportunity to play. I mean, he already he played 85 test matches um, over a 30-year career, so not a lot of tests per year. But, you know, he, he managed to have a, a very, very long test career at a really high level as well. Yeah, we just talked about him and Hutton and in terms of the number of tests that they played. A, a lot of those have got to be Ashes series, are they? Are they just, you know, Australia playing... Yeah, England all the time. Were they, you know, on these big tours? Not necessarily. So 32-33, he went and played New Zealand in New Zealand, played two tests. Uh, Seemed to quite like playing New Zealand from, yeah, from memory. Yeah, he scored 563 runs and two bats against New Zealand in 32-3. <laughs> played South Africa 38-39, scored 609 runs and eight bats at an average of 87. So it wasn't just against Australia. He did make runs all around the world. But, mm. you know, that in that era, the peak series was Australia-England. And if you could make runs in Australia in particular, that was kind of the pinnacle. And, you know, that 28-9 Ashes tour where he made 905 runs in nine bats at an average of 100, that's that's right up there, 400s in that in that series. And, and Binksy, you know, I've just talk, we just talked about Len Hutton. I'd asked you a similar question on, you know, where, where he – the memories, I guess, you had of him when you were growing up. Baldy's, seeing as we are, you know, ranking these players, 45, 46, has Baldy got them round in the right order? Yes, interesting question. Look, I, th I think we have. He was named in, I think, the all-time England 11 um, by Wisden, sort of inducted into the ICC Cricketing Hall of Fame um, and mentioned in the same sort of breath as um, as Hutton, as Sutcliffe, who I'm hoping will come on to. Yeah, we will. Um at, and I think they had them in that order, um, you know, you, you know, second only two. So um, I think absolutely. And it, and again, it, it's tales from my grandfather of, of, of this guy, you know, you mentioned in the same breath, that sort of ubiquitous, you know, Hammond and Hutton and, um, and then later Compton and, and some of those other players as well. And um, yeah, just had had panache, I think, was sort of the, the word that was described very classic um, in his in his style as well. Mm. Well, we've only got 12 seconds to go, so um, no one no one else jumping in with, with anything else on Wally Hammond. We will move on. We said at the top of the show, we're going to take a little bit of a detour. So um, just as a recap, we are talking about numbers 45 to 41 on the Test Cricketing Hall of Fame. We've got four players to get through on this episode. Three of them are batsmen. One of them is someone that Lip is going to enjoy talking about. In terms of order, we've got batsman, batsman, the bowler that we're going to skip for a second, and then another batsman. Those three batsmen are 
constituents of the big three or the big four or the big five, if you count the emergence of Baba Azam at the moment in Test cricket, we are, of course, talking about Joe Root. No, we're not. Um, he's not in this conversation, is we've, he? We've, we've, we've had Joe Root. Root 66. Way back. Way back. Okay, well, we'll, we'll come on to that, shall we? But <laughs> we're going to talk about Kane Williamson. We're going to talk about Virat Kohli. And we're going to talk about Nairan Stephen Smith as well. So we're going to stick probably 18 minutes on the clock and talk about these three um, at the same time because I think we can compare and contrast three modern era careers. Um, are we going to do the order or should we do that at the Let's end? Let's do the order at the end we'll do the order I, I want you guys end. to have your order and then we're going to have the official order, which uh, is my order. Which is your order. So, which is the correct order. So Lippy's going to keep us honest with, I guess, some topics to talk about, but Bordy, do we want to just do a quick overview of the stats of these uh, of these three players in no particular order, of course? Yeah, in no particular order, just left to right on my page. Virat Kohli, 101 tests for 8,043 runs at an average, just below 50 now, 49.95. 27 test hundreds, or none for a little while, uh, and 28 test 50s. So that's 15 hundreds per 100 innings and, and 32 uh, hundreds plus 50s for every 100 innings. I'm just going to switch so I can have a look at his stats here in terms of his hundreds rate is 11th all time. His AARP is 31st all time. Uh, so he's right there in the kind of 30s around run scored, average, average above replacement player. But he is now up to 17th uh, in hundreds with those 27 test hundreds. Uh, let's go. We've, we've done Joe Root, but we'll come back to him, Binksy. I promise you that. Let's have a look at Stephen Peter Devereaux-Smith, the Australian no-run merchant. Uh, but he does score a lot of runs, 8,010 of them across his 85 tests at an average of 59.77. He too has 27 test hundreds and 36 fifties. And he has an average above replacement player of plus 18.6, which is second Handy. all time. Uh, so there's only one guy who has a better average above replacement player in the history of Test cricket. His 100 rate is 6 all-time. His 50s rate is 7th all-time. His adding, batting average is 5th all-time. And his number of 100s, of course, tied with Virat Kohli is 17th all-time. But let's get on to... Can you, give me, a, can you give me a drum roll? Here we go. <laughs> We're going to talk about Kane. 86 test matches for Kane Williamson for New Zealand for 7,272 test runs at a ridiculous average, really, for a New Zealander of 53.47. What do you mean for a New Zealander? It's harder to bat in New Zealand than it is in a lot of other places in the world. Same as like for an Englishman at the moment. Mm. (laughs) I was trying to stick up for you, but in which case, sod off. (laughs) I'll say it. It's harder to bat in New Zealand than it is in a lot of other places in the world. But we'll get back to that for Kane because he defies that logic. 24 test hundreds and 33 test fifties. His rate of scoring hundreds is 13th all time. His rate of scoring fifties is 13th all time. And his average above replacement player is 15th all time. All of those kind of per test stats for Kane are top 20 or top 15 all time. They're the three we're going to talk about. We'll just quickly mention Bubba Azam, who is closing in on being a member of this big four, now big five. He's played 40 tests, only has 2,851 runs at this stage, but that's climbing rapidly uh, at an average of 45.96 test hundreds and 21.50. So long way for him to go to reach those heady heights of... The, of he should be in on the Rabada scale, though, shouldn't he? <laughs> well, that's true. You could you could make that argument. I mean, in the last three years, he's averaged 60 in test cricket and has scored a lot of runs. He's right up with it, there with these guys in terms of productivity in the last three years. But at the moment, it's a big four. It might be a big five at some stage 
in the back end of Bubba Azam's career if he can, keeps going the way he is. Can I just ask, and you, we've alluded to it, Joe Root's got nearly 10,000 test runs, average of 50, scoring mm-hmm. hundreds of fun at the moment, mm-hmm. criticism around his conversion rate. Yep. If you're doing this piece of work on your little spreadsheet... Um, <laughs> again now. Again now. From scratch. Can, can you just please throw English cricket a little bit of a bone and Absolutely. tell me that Root would be up here? 100% he would. 100%. So, unfortunately, when we did this list, it was a little while ago, and Joe Root hadn't scored 19,000 test runs in 2021. And he would be up there in this list. I mean, you have a look at his record. He's got 111 runs to get for 10,000 test runs at an average of 49. He's got 25 test hundreds. He's got 53 test 50s. And that's the only real criticism you can level at Joe Root at the moment. But he's got that, 53 test 50s. He's got 53 yeah. test 50s. So you can, you can make that into Pretty an sure argument. That's 53 more than around this table. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely it is. I mean, but that's, that's, the, that's the problem with making an argument against Joe Root, is that you have to go, well, he's got 53 test 50s. Why doesn't he have more hundreds? Well, well he's got 53 test 50s. What are you talking about? He's also scored about 2,000 runs in six or seven centuries since you did this work as well. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So he's gone from just over 8,000 to 9,800 uh, since I started compiling this list. So he's on the way up if you want to talk about trajectories and your favorite word Raj momentum Joe Root's got all of it Virat Kohli's got none of it let's Look, talk we, about we the last an, two years we spent enough time talking about Joe Root when we when we had him let's actually talk about we finally got a New Zealander on this podcast let's kind of uh, talk about these three players and, and I think we do have a good opportunity to compare them and I think in that sense you just rattled off all the stats I, I, I think we'll get at the end to kind of where we think, you know, whether they're all in the right order and whether the clump of these three are actually in the right place in, in the actual... Yeah, I want to cover that. We'll know, get back to that at ...hall the of fame. But I think just purely on stats, surely Steve Smith is just way above Kane and Virat Kohli, as much as I would like to put Kane in that in that company. Smith's average is, is way better. When you rattled off all the stats before, you were... It seemed like Smith's stats were all top five almost in they are. top five, top yep. ten. Why Why is Smith now, why is he down with, with Coley and, and Williamson? Okay, I'll answer that question now and we'll get back to a discussion about which one we'd have at the top and, and who, we, who we like as a cricketer. What I have done cleverly and, and very arbitrarily, as Binksy might say, I've made Self, this up. Self-proclaimed uh, cleverly. Yeah, uh, very, very cleverly. It's, this, is, this is a little bit like, this part of it is a little bit like uh, whose line is it anyway, where all the things are made up and the points don't matter. Um I have orchestrated for these three to finish in this segment of five, A, so we can talk about them together, but B, so that we can have a cap on players who are currently playing test cricket not appearing in the top 40 in the Hall of Fame until after they've retired. So having listened to feedback from some listeners who've written into the show and said how ridiculous it was to have Pat Cummins as high as he was and he should be in a lower level and why do we have cricketers so high that are still playing, I've capped the ranking of test cricketers outside the top 40 until they have retired and I'll put a caveat in there because I still have one player yet to come who has not yet retired but he's in my top 40 and I couldn't bear to bring him down too much uh, because I love him so much but we'll get to him we'll get to him later on so that's why Root, Smith and Coley Also we probably wouldn't be friends if he wasn't in the In the top 40? Yeah Yeah. I'd imagine so yeah Uh, So that's why these guys are all outside the top 40 Uh, once they retire we'll we'll rejig the list and put them where I think they should go uh, post-retirement because look at the moment, Smith, 8,000 runs at 59, is probably top 30 all-time test cricketers. But I think that there's a lot of movement to go there with Steve Smith's average, and it's not necessarily in a positive direction. And uh, I think there are a couple of cricketers in this list that could have their their 
career average go in a positive direction and finish a little bit higher in this list than than I would have them right now. And uh, let's let's come back to that trajectory thing because I think definitely we'll all have thoughts on that. But but Raj, why don't you? Why don't we move to some more positive stuff and actually talk about some memories we have of these players? I mean, you know, I guess we, we want to talk about the New Zealand. I mean, what what is the first thing that springs to mind, I guess, when you think of Kane Williamson? And, and I guess on a wider sense, what he's meant to New Zealand during this era that he's been playing. Yeah, for me, it's just consistency with Kane Williamson. He's always scoring runs. Uh, one of one of the, my favourite hundreds of his was uh, the hundred he scored in Adelaide, I believe, when Ross Taylor scored two ninety and Williamson scored one hundred and seventy. Perth, I, believe. I think it was, yeah, Perth, whichever it was, and also a hundred he scored in Hamilton against Africa mm. on day five. Uh, really, really good batting, and he's always he's always dependable. It's very very seldom that you see him failing, and if he does fail, it kind of sticks out a little bit. Um, I have no doubt that, you know, when it's all said and done, I think he'll have all our records and be well ahead of, of anyone at the moment. Mm. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's my memories of Kane Williamson. And, uh, and and I just want to add to that really and say that, yeah, I mean, some of those innings that so I, I think we really missed him this summer when, you know, obviously we missed him. He's, a, he's our best batter. I think, as you said, I think he'll be our best batter of all time. I don't think that'll be a, a question once he's retired. But I just think that there's times, in particular it happened last summer, where you just think he's never going to get out. Like he scored those back-to-back double hundreds and he plays the ball so late. Like it, it just seems like even when he makes a mistake, the things that he does means that he's just never he's never going to be dismissed. So, yeah, he's been an unbelievable player to watch over this length of time. Um, f- for me with Kane, th- there's a couple of things that, that stand out. And... We've talked about it a hell of a lot and it's really, really difficult for us to actually have an answer to this question, but he doesn't play a lot of test cricket compared to the other guys, you know, similar age, um, similar career spanners and has played, you know, only 70 odd test matches. 86 at the moment. 86 test matches. So I, I think that that's, you know, that's one of those things that I just, I kind of think if you just project his career forward and kind of give him that ability to play more test cricket what are we talking about in terms of statistics but we can't do that the other thing which is really interesting to me we we talk about smith there's some controversy um around him um as a leader we talk about coley there's some controversy around him as a leader as well we talk about kane he's just very very quietly captain new zealand for six years now pretty much without any controversy pretty much without any questions about him being the right man for the job um and I just think that that has got to go into this because international captaincies, we've just seen with Joe Root standing down after five years or four years or whatever, Tim Payne and Pat Cummins and, and all of the comings and goings that we've seen in that respect. That that for me stands him apart um, in terms of his leadership as well. Um, I know that might not be in your algorithm. But, oh, it is. Um, absolutely I, it is. I absolutely think that that's, you know, that's one of the things... Um, that I would say. I I also think he's really, really underrated as a T20 player as well. Um, you know, we've seen about his his worth in the IPL um, and his ability to actually hit sixes when he needs to. There was some, you know, really surprising stats around how he can actually get the ball out of the park. We, we see him as that sort of nerdler that plays the ball really late and runs it down to, to third man. But he's actually got power um, and really knows his game really well as well in the, in the white ball cricket. It's interesting you mentioned that because I was going to say something around the li- along the lines of, he's too valuable not to be on the field. Yeah. And if he has to drop a format, it's not 2020 he's going to drop. It's probably be one-day cricket. 
going to play test cricket. It's too lucrative not to play 2020 cricket in this day and age. But I did want to pick up on the leadership uh, point that you made there because I'll, I'll put my hand up and say I was not or I have not been a fan of his leadership style coming out after someone like Brendan McCullum. Uh, very hard act to follow, Brendan McCullum, but uh, his his aggressive sort of go at it sort of mentality uh, when he was captain. See, uh, when he wasn't when he was the captain, uh, really drew me in. And Kane is almost the polar opposite of that. Mm. But we've said it many times. You've said it many times, Lippy. His style has allowed New Zealand to do just enough to get the victory time and time again. Yeah, and, and I think actually. It, it, I think the combination of captain and coach has been, you know, quite impressive the way that that's worked. And I know that there's been at times there's been uh, discussions around whether, you know, certainly when New Zealand was struggling in that little patch there, you know, whether Steady and and Kane were on the same page. That was that was a big conversation. But yeah, I feel like that the way that um, Gary Stead is a person and Kane Williamson have, have reflected themselves, they actually have worked together to, you know, move New Zealand from this really aggressive attacking kind of format to just being a really consistent cricket side. And yeah, that's, that's been a, a hugely, you know, th- that memory of the World Test Championship, th- that's going to live so long in New Zealand cricket's memory and, and his impact as, you know, a, a leading figure in that and, you know, being in there at the end, that, that hug with Ross Taylor, all of that is going to, that actually is legacy building stuff. So yeah, amazing. I just want to pick up on that point you made around consistency because in my mind, Kane Williamson is the perfect number three batter. Of all of these guys, he is the perfect number three because he's so consistent. One of the interesting statistics that I picked up in in doing this analysis around Kane is he averages 60 at home. He has one of the highest home and away differentials of any cricketer, modern or, you know, eras past. And it's actually really interesting to have a look. You wouldn't think that he is a... A, a cricketer that would be so dominant at home because it's harder to bat in New Zealand, but he has made it so profitable for him because he's able to adapt his technique to be perfect in these New Zealand conditions. And I think that's what sort of sets him apart from these other two guys is that Kane Williamson can make runs when the conditions don't suit him. And the other two guys that we're going to talk about, Coley and Smith, I don't I don't see them having that in their test game Um in, in spades. The other guys, when they get on a roll, are more prolific. Like when they're on their highs, their highs are higher. But Kane is just such a, a, a prototypical New Zealander, is that he just keeps trucking and he just keeps producing. And he's got a World Test Championship now. In the last two years, Kane's averaged 88 with the bat. In the last three years, he's averaged 54 with the bat in only 14 tests over the last three years, but he's still got a thousand runs at 54. It, since 2014, it's 63.7 across almost a hundred innings and 20 innings at that, you know, 20 hundreds at, at, at that time. So, you know, we, we look at Smith's average and think about how amazing it is. You, you take off the start of Kane's career and, and uh, yeah, that the what seven years since then has been so pretty staggering. Yeah, I'm 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 in full admiration of Kane Williamson, and I would actually go so far as to say that for all conditions of these three guys, if I had to pick one, I'd pick Kane. For all conditions, not not to bat in Australia or to bat in in India, but if I had to pick one guy for all conditions, I'd pick Kane. And and look, I. I, we could keep talking about Kane for for a long, long time, but we probably need to talk about some of the other two. I actually kind of thought, um, I know I think this is a Game of Thrones reference, isn't it? The the prince who who was promised that that fe- it felt that way 
for with Kane when he was coming up. It felt that way with Coley that we we knew that they were going to be great. Steve Smith, I feel like, is the most unlikely person. If you'd have thought at the start of his Test career that he is going to be regarded as the best batter, you know, one of the best batters of all time, I, I would have been completely floored when I saw that. I yeah, well, Binksy, you want to jump in here? I I do, and I, I I'm torn. I, I'm going to go into bat for Steve Smith here. When I kind of reflect on this and you can't argue with the stats and, you know, we've got, you know, Bradman coming up on the list. I mean, there's no, you know, surprises where he's going to be on that list. But when you look at 8,000 runs at 60, 2,600, 3650s, and you look at where this guy started as a number eight batsman who was the next Shane Warne um, as a leg spinner. Mm. Um, he looked a bit like Shane Warne, didn't he? He had the frosted tips and he was a little bit fat and he, he looked like, he, you know, <laughs> a balanced diet to him was a cheeseburger in each hand. And we can't then get away, I think, from, you know, some of the legacy of, you know, Sam Papergate and all those kind of things. But then I asked myself the question, do all of his idiosyncrasies take away from just how good he is? And I have to say that if I'm emotive about it, I hate the way that he says no run. I hate the way that he leaves the ball. I hate the way that he's got 37 pairs of batting gloves. But you take all that away, you cannot argue with his output as a batter, his hand-eye, his adaption of his technique to be as effective as he possibly can be. And not just across one format, across all formats as well. Mm. Uh, pretty decent fielder. And, and to be honest pretty decent bloke when you look at the aftermath of what happened <laughs> with controversial. well in terms of the way that he has probably reacted and come out of that sandpaper gate piece i think his stock has not necessarily risen since then but he's he's rebuilt he's reintegrated all these words that we hear about in sport now and i i just think you know the emotion that he had immediately after that and and the contrition that he's shown after um, that event. Look, I, I, I've got to give the guy um, a massive amount of credit and come back to it. You cannot argue that those stats are just all time. Yeah. And, and, and that's it. The saying, what is it? The saying I've got it written down here. It doesn't say in the book how you scored your runs is very applicable here because it's like you said, the idiosyncrasies and stuff kind of turn you off a little bit as a cricket viewer, as a, as a as neutral a, cricket as a viewer. Absolutely. Yep. But the way he hits the ball, the way he drives when he's in position, when he contacts the ball, it's all beautiful. But uh, it looks ugly to start off with, doesn't it? But um, I, I also, I did want to go back to that sandpaper gate because it is a big part of his his career he lost a year of his career to it which i think was harsh that might be a bit of a unpopular opinion but how does that affect his legacy in terms of leadership it affects it massively because he was in charge at that moment and whether or not he knew or not he was complicit in establishing the culture in that australian cricket team with the coaches and the managers that allowed that incident to take place so whether he knew about it or not whether he was complicit or turned a blind eye i don't think we'll ever really know the full truth but it impacts like greg chapel his legacy as a leader of the australian team when you compare him to to taylor to war to border some great leaders of the australian cricket team he will sit a, a rung below those guys and he'll certainly sit a rung below a guy like kane williamson who up until this point has led his side with nothing but aplomb throughout his career and has been almost flawless. And reputations are very, very easy to break and very, very hard to rebuild. And Steve Smith's done a lot of work to try and rebuild his reputation. But 
it's it's damaged as a result of that incident, um, and and he's going to spend the rest of his career trying to to live back to that that um, reputation that he set himself. And, and look, we we're breaking our rules all over the place here. We've got through eighteen minutes, and we haven't even really talked about Virat Kohli. So we, we're going to have to do that, or well, not going to have to do it. We want to do it, and we're going to continue. So just bear with us. And mm. and I, I want to pick up on that leadership stuff because we talk. I know Kohli is a very He's a very polarizing figure in, in world cricket. There are people, you know, you, you don't have to go far on social media to find people that just absolutely adore Virat Kohli and everything that he's done for, for Indian cricket. There are other people that, you know, sort of really, really get annoyed by every little tiny thing that he does. But I don't, I think, I mean, maybe Raj, you want to pick up on this, but the fact that Kohli has, he's been in charge of that Indian team while they have been, I know New Zealand won that World Test Championship. I'm going to keep mentioning that for a long, long time. But India's been the best, num- the number one test team for a long time, and that largely has been under Virat Kohli's leadership. And I don't think that should go unnoticed. Yeah, he's overseen a very, very successful time for India, especially with the Red Bull. Uh, he shifted the paradigm in terms of their thinking about how they play test cricket. Um, and especially how they play overseas. Uh, and, you know, they have to win overseas. And, You've seen the changes in the pitches they've had prior to the English series that just happened about 12 months ago. But before that, the pitches were very fair. They were very green, a lot of them as well. And they they used their fast bowlers to take a lot of their wickets, which is something that India haven't done traditionally. They've also batted incredibly well around the world. Tours to Australia, where they've won two and counting. Um, yeah, I think that that cannot be disputed. His, his input or his... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Challenge. He challenged... India to improve their record overseas in particular and to go away and play fearless cricket overseas because he's a real fearless character. Not many batters could go through a two-year period like he has averaging 30 without a test 100 and look impregnable in terms of his position in that Indian side. Everybody else in the world would have their position in their team, in their test side, called into question. Virat Kohli, okay, some people are, are saying that maybe he he doesn't have a great record over the last two years, but you wouldn't drop the guy. There's no way that India are going to drop Virat Kohli from that test side. He's almost the first name picked in that team because he challenges them to be better, to go and do things that they've never done before. And you're right, under his leadership they have. They've won in Australia. Um, they've won in Australia again subsequently under Ajinkya Rahane when, when Virat only played one test. But he's challenged them to take 20 wickets, to be better in the field, to do all of these things that they've never done before. But Border, you're dead right. I think the way I'd kind of sum that up is talking about two L's. We talk about leadership and we talk about that being quite divisive when we talk about Virat Kohli. He's rubbed a lot of people up the wrong way. There's an argument as to whether or not he's inspired everybody to be the best that they, that they can be in the way that he's gone about that, probably because he's so emotional. But for me, it comes down to another L, which is the legacy piece that he leaves, which is he made a decision that the Indian side wasn't a good enough fielding side. They weren't fit enough. They weren't going to be able to do what they wanted to do, which was to win overseas, to win with pace um, and and to be that all-round cricket side. And he dragged people with him by his own example. And and I think that's the biggest thing that he leaves for me is his legacy is probably better than his than his leadership. The, the other thing that really stands out to me, um, he reminds me of my feelings towards Ricky Ponting. Um, although he surpassed Ricky Ponting in, in that respect for me, I hated Ricky Ponting until the day that he retired and then I liked him. Um, I've actually found myself liking Virat Kohli as he's played for India. And I go back to 2014 where he had an 
absolute shocker against England. He averaged 13 across a 10 test match or 10 test match innings in that 2014 series. And he then made a beeline in 2018 and scored nearly 600 runs, a couple of hundreds um, in English conditions where everyone was saying, you know, he struggled so badly, um, badly here. So, yeah, look, I, I think that that's the biggest thing for me is the legacy he leaves on that England side and, and his just determination to be so good. So I, I want to bring us back in a second to kind of that question that we talked about at the start. Like, we, you know, where actually are they on this this list? And and where, I guess, in, in a sense, you know, have we got them in, in the right order? Border, you can reveal that the order they were in. But we haven't really touched too much on Virat's stats. I know we, we've mentioned that recently they haven't been that great. But before that, you know, remarkable. Yeah, I think... In my opinion, his his bigger legacy is going to be in white ball cricket. When we look at the best, you know, white ball cricketers uh, in history, I think he's going to be right up there on um, the numbers that he scored. But don't get me wrong, he still had a very good red ball career. He's had a shocking two years, really, and he's still averaging around about 50 uh, overall in his career. But there was also a lot of chatter around, you know, Virat Kohli coming and taking Sachin's records, breaking breaking his numbers. Even if he does that, I think that there's a lot of people around the world who won't see him as better than Sachin. No matter what he does, even if he gets those records, I don't see him eclipsing Sachin in terms of his legacy on Test cricket. But uh, he's had a great career, and hopefully he can turn it round after uh, the last two years he's had. Yeah, well, let, let's move into that because... I think all three of them, as great as their careers have been, as great as they still could be in the potential that they have to to build, you know, stacks and stacks more runs on, onto what they already have, I think there are question marks about all of them. We've got Kane Williamson. We've talked about the incredible, you know, recent form that he's had, but he's struggled to get on the field with that, that elbow injury. We... He's managing it, and that it, that seems to be something that he's going to have to manage for the rest of his career. It doesn't seem like surgery is going to really remedy the situation unless he takes a prolonged break. We've got Virat Kohli, who I've had a look. I mean, Baldi's, I think, got more stats, but the, the last 17 tests, he's got no hundreds, averages closer to, to 30 than it was to, you know, his, his average has now slipped under 50. Steve Smith, I think, over the last 17 tests, his average is only about 40. And I know, Baldy, you've talked a lot about how you think Smith's numbers are going to come down. I mean, now maybe we can circle back to that, that that question I asked you at the start, that, you know, Smith's numbers at the moment seem much better than these two. Is is a little bit of that built in that you think that actually Smith's numbers are going to drop and be much closer to these two by the end of it? I think I think you're going to see that. I think you saw that with uh, with Tendulkar. You saw that with Ricky Ponting in the back end of their careers. Their average regressed a little bit. Uh, Tendulkar averaged 55 for most of his career. Ricky Ponting averaged in uh, well over 50 for most of his career, and that came down towards the back half of their careers. I think we're going to see a little bit the same with Steve Smith. Why? Because he's such a hand-eye player, and eventually hand-eye goes. And what are you left with when you don't have that same? world-beating hand-eye, I'm not quite sure that he's going to have that same kind of longevity. Maybe I'm proved wrong and he comes back and he has multiple series where he averages over 100. I mean, if you have a look at his record now, he's got seven series, three tests or longer. Uh, I think one of them actually might be two tests, but he's got six tests, series, three tests or longer where he averages over 100. He's got seven series where he's made over 400 runs. So he is a prolific, prolific cricketer. But I just I just wonder whether or not we're going to see 
Steve Smith's career average at the end of his career looking something like Kane Williamson's is now. And and that's the, that's the question mark I think we have to see play out over the back half of Smith's career. And, and can Kane stay on the field long enough to keep his average where it is or maybe improve it a little bit? And what's Coley going to do in the next two years? I mean, I have Coley slightly ahead of Smith in my rankings at the moment based on a little bit of his leadership legacy with India. And also he's got slightly more runs. He's got 800 more runs at 50 and, and uh, a slightly few, uh, a few more hundreds. And so I've got him above Kane in that respect. But if we project the current kind of trajectory of these two players, Kane's going to go past Coley in a couple of years, in, in my view. So, guys, we've broken all of our rules here on Cricketing Hall of Fame. The clock's on about 29 minutes, I think, at the moment for, for these three. Let's go round the table very, very quickly. So, Baldy, I'm going to start with you. You're going to reveal the order that these guys are in. You're then going to reveal who you think is actually going to be at the top of the tree by the time these guys' careers finish. And yep. then we'll each do the same thing. We're going to pick the guy that we think is going to finish higher up the list at the end of their career and perhaps one reason uh, one reason why. And that can be a bold prediction or it can be something based on actual facts. Yep. So I've got Kane at 44 at the moment based on the fact that Coley's got a few more hundreds. And again, when I did this list, it was 12 months ago and Coley hadn't had a full full extra year of averaging 30 and, and Kane had an averaged 80. So uh, th- they could swap at any, at any point in time. But when I wrote this list, I had uh, uh, Kane slightly below Coley and Smith at, at the top of the list. If you ask me where I think they all end up, I think Joe Root goes past Virat Coley by the end of his career. That's my bold prediction. And I actually think that Kane and Smith, by virtue of Kane's excellent legacy as a leader and his continued success as a batter, uh, Smith coming back to the field a little bit, those guys will actually end up pretty close, I think, unless Steve Smith racks off another, you know, couple of years averaging over over 55, over 60. I think they'll end up pretty close together at the end of the day. I, I, I will jump in and say I, I tend to agree with you in the sense that I think that Kane will pass Coley. And mainly that's because I, I just think Coley, I, I don't see necessarily a way out for him at the moment in, in test cricket. It just doesn't seem to be turning around. I kept thinking that he would, but mainly just because that you sort of have that impression about players that have always been awesome, that they're suddenly just going to turn it around and they'll get a couple of runs, but it just doesn't seem to be happening. And look, as long as Kane's not hampered by this elbow, I think he'll he'll go past that. I think in terms of what he means to a country's cricket, he'll be more important than Smith. But I do think Smith, I feel like Smith, in terms of the global rankings and the the numbers that Smith's going to continue to put up, I don't see that stopping. And I, and I think... A lot of that is because I think he'll still rack up a lot of runs in Australia, and I think that will really help him continue to have a great average and just be higher than than Williamson because of yeah that great average and playing more tests than Williamson will by the end of his career. Yeah, um, for me on though those four batsmen, I think with Root and Williamson, I feel like we're still seeing the best of them uh, over the last few years, and I can see that continuing for a while. With Coley and and, and Steve Smith, I'm not sure if we have already seen the best of them, and that's come and gone, uh, and they're sort of on the on the downward trend. I mean, you never count out, you know, greats of the game like these guys are, but I feel like they're there for the taking for for Root and Kane Williamson to, to surge past them, so I think that is entirely possible. I'm not going to mention Joe Root. Hunger for the game, I think, is 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 the key in this for me, and and I just think that 
Murat Kohli is such a strong character. He's only 33 years old. He's played 100 test matches. I think he can play 200 test matches, and I think he can score 15,000 test runs. And I think that's where he'll get to. Um, I don't know where Steve Smith will get to. I don't think Kane's going to have that level of longevity. We've talked a little bit about his elbow. And also, he's just not going to get the opportunity to play as many test matches, I don't think, as the others. So I think if Coley does what I think he will do, which will be to reignite his hunger in some way, whether that's to prove a point to himself or to prove a point to the world, it doesn't really matter. I think he's got a lot more cricket left in, left in him as a senior pro in this side. And I think that relinquishing the captaincy might just be the thing that he needed in order to do that. Um, and yeah, look, I think he will certainly top the run charts out of these um, these three, uh, but I'm not counting Joe Root out. Well, we have broken all the rules. So we've got Sir Leonard Hutton, uh, sorry, so uh, Wally Hammond, sorry, yep. uh, at 45. We've got Kane Williamson at 44. Yep. We've got Virat Kohli at 43. And we've got Steve Smith at 42. The player we haven't talked 41. about. Steve Smith's at 41. Oh, 41, we sorry. Skipped, we skipped someone. Skip, we'll come back to them It's getting very confusing. We, it is getting very confusing. Um, we've skipped someone. This is going to be the Stuart Lipshaw show, I feel. <laughs> Who have we got um, sandwiched between Coley and, and Smith on this list, Baldy? Let's talk about spin, Stu. We'll, we'll put six minutes on the clock, I think. We'll put a generous six, six on the clock. Six or 25? Yeah. How, how much do you know? We'll, we'll, put, we'll, we'll, put, we'll put six on the clock and we'll see where we get to for this guy. Let's talk about Indian spinner Ravichandran Ashwin. He's played 86 tests already. He has, let's have a look here, 442 test wickets and counting at an average of 24.1 and a strike rate of 52. He's got seven tenfers already, 35 fers in his career. That rate of fifers, by the way, is eighth all time. And his average above replacement player is 28th, um, which is you know kind of in the middle there. But he is a spin bowler. They tend to have slightly higher averages because they bowl a lot more overs. But let's have a look at how prodigious he is with those fifers and tenfers because that's the stat that really um, stands out for me. Already in his career, he's up to sixth all-time in tenfers with seven. He's up to seventh all-time in fivefers with 30. And his his ability to take many, many, many wickets in a series is just outstanding. You have a look at 2021, England and India, 32 wickets at 14. 25-16 against South Africa, 31 wickets at 11. And then 2013 uh, against Australia, Australia in India, 29 wickets at 20. So his ability to dominate the opposition as a spin bowler, and yes, all of those series are in India, that's why I like him so much. I, I love Ravichandran Ashwin. And cue the argument about home conditions versus away conditions. I just don't care. Yes, he plays in India. He gets the benefit of that, but he makes the most of it. And he dominates oppositions when he's got conditions that favour him. Let's go through the gate, Stuart. Open it up and away you go. Yeah, look, and let's stay positive for a minute because I know I I know all of those things that are coming and I know, you know, we yeah, we you, we're going to we'll get to all of the the knocks on Ravi Ashwin and and I suppose the the question marks about having him this high. But yeah, I mean, I've made no secret of the fact that I love watching Ravi Ashwin. I actually think he's taken off spin bowling you know, to a new level. And I, I know there's been other players that have bowled the, the Doozer and the Carambol and, and all the different variations. We've obviously, there's Murali and, and there are, you know, Ravi Ashwin was not the first to do something different as an off-spin bowler. But I, I think the way that he's kind of gone about 
being a, a technician and a real craftsman and someone that thinks about how can I improve every single aspect of what I've got as an off spinner, which is actually a little bit limited in the traditional sense, you know, that tr- traditionally you had an off spin delivery and you had an armball and you, you know, that, that has changed greatly. But Ashwin has got so many variations on his variations. He's very worn like in that sense. And yeah, I just think he's the way that he goes about things and, and tries to figure out batters. I mean, I don't know. We saw it very, very recently in the, the his latest IPL game that we just watched with the way he went wide of the crease, bowled a carom ball to uh, Andre Russell, bowled him first ball and, and made a massive impact in that game. That's obviously got no relevance for, for this conversation, but I just think that, yeah, the way that he goes about things is is such a delight to watch from, from an offspin point of view. Yeah, the first sentence I have here is that uh, he seems to have a few flaws when it comes to the spirit of cricket, um, <laughs> Ravi Ashwin. But you can't take away his four hundred wickets and five hundreds. Has he got with the bat? He scored a he scored a few hundreds with the bat. Yeah, ever just twenty six with the bat. Um, no, he scored five hundreds. Yeah, that's yeah. impressive as well. And, and when it comes to flagship series, you know, we we talk about when they went to Australia, everyone's talking about Nathan Lyon coming up to taking 400 wickets, and Ravi, Ravi Chandran Ashton just ran straight past him uh, in terms of how many wickets he's taken in his career and, and really out-bowled Lyon and was a massive part of why they have been winning away from away from, uh, away from from India. But in saying that, there have been times where he hasn't actually been selected, like when they went to England and he wasn't even making the team. So it's a very interesting sort of selection policy, rotation policy they've got going there, but no, you can't take those numbers away from him as a, as a spin bowler yeah and look, the first thing i've got written down is should he have played more made his debut i think at the age of 25 or 26 if he'd have debuted a little bit earlier um and actually wasn't left out of the side at times where you couldn't actually understand the selection decision you've got a guy that can bat at probably seven um in in that lineup comfortably given the batting lineup that india have had five test match hundreds and then obviously the wickets to go with that and I'm really glad you mentioned it. That he is worn like to mm. to me. There's only one off spinner I've enjoyed watching bowl more than him, and that was Graham Swan. And and that was probably a little bit because um, he's English, but he had a bit of flair and panache about him as well. Ashwin's got that as well. He's he's the kind of guy that when he's bowling, I want to watch what he's going to do next. And um, not least because he's got that rule book in his back pocket, and and he's always going to find you know something, um, yeah, something to play with with that rule book as well. And Baldy, I mean, how did you reconcile with that? Because I, I did struggle when I thought that seems really high for Ashwin, just given the sense that sometimes he doesn't get picked. It feels like if someone is a top 50 player of all time, they should be one of the first names on the team sheet. And, you know, yeah, I mean, I, I then dug into the stats and look, I mean, he the only people that have 400 wickets at a better strike rate than him are Murali Warren. The only ones that have a better average, uh, or sorry, the only ones that have a, a better strike, uh, sorry, he has a better strike rate than Marillion Warren. Mm. He, the only ones that have a better strike rate than him are McGrath, Hadley and Stain, who, you know, Stain in particular has an incredible strike rate. I, I But, yeah, I still battle with the fact that sometimes he doesn't get picked. F- fastest to every milestone it, as well for India, isn't he? 50 wickets, 100 wickets, yeah, all absolutely. Up to 400 wickets. It, it, it all adds up to he should be picked all the time for India, and he's not, and... and I don't necessarily think that's his fault. I I actually think that that is a that is not a failing of the selectors, but that is a decision that they've made that I think impacts 
how he will be viewed. Let's just finish with a couple of things. Knox on Knox on Ravi Ashwin doesn't bowl well away from home. He averages 31 away. That's Nathan Lyon's career average, by the way. His worst average against any nation, any nation, is 31. That's pretty good. And that's and that's incredible to me how consistent he is against all comers, particularly those excellent Australian sides that he's played against and the excellent England side that was, you know, four or five years ago. He's he's bested all of those, right? All of them. Um, five fifers against Australia, and only two spinners have ever had a better average at home, and that's Murli and now Ravi Jadeja. So he is an incredible, incredible cricketer. I'd have him higher if I could. I think he's going to end up much higher on this list because he's going to end up with the same number of wickets as Anil Kumble. He's going to be up in that 600 range and by the time he retires. It's incredibly polarizing. You know, we've talked about that a lot, but I, you know, in researching this, I looked at uh, a video with uh, Gautam Gambier and uh, Ian Bell kind of on Crick Info. They had the same kind of conversation. They actually were talking about is he the the best spinner that's ever played for India or off spinner? I think they had was that discussion, and Gautam Gambier said that he thought Harbhajan was a better bowler, and and Harbhajan doesn't even make your list. So it's the stats don't even, the stats don't back that up at all. But yeah, he, there's, there's he, something more to that, isn't there? He's not on the Christmas card list, is he? Maybe, but you know, he actually talked about which you know we've gone way over time again, but that DRS has had a big big impact in Ashwin and, and in spin bowling in general, which is probably a, a completely different conversation to, to leave you all with as we finish the episode. Well, on that bombshell, we will end things here. <laughs> Get into the feed for our DRS specialist episode, which we will no doubt do at some point I think in, we will, in yeah, the off-season. Yeah. We will talk about the effectiveness and impact of the DRS on cricket. But this was an episode of the Cricketing Hall of Fame here on the Top Order podcast. Please do leave some comments. Um, if you're going to bag us about going over time, please don't do that because um, <laughs> we had to be indulged on the big three or at least uh, two of the big four or five. Um, but, and our first New Zealander. And our first New Zealander for, for yonks and yonks and yonks. So um, who knows? We might even have the, the great Richard Hadley coming up on the, uh, the podcast uh, very soon. But it is good night from us here in Auckland on the Top Order podcast. Stay tuned for more cricket news, views and interviews in your feed. But for now, good night. God bless. We'll see you soon.